Good evening. This is Justin Ford in the studio for Africa Christian Action's Salt and Light on Radio Tigerberg. Tonight we are discussing for faith and family. Dr. Hammond, a big day on the religious calendar is approaching, is it not? The 31st of October. Yes, well, uh, to us it's a great religious day, but it seems that many people are remembering more the rival um, pagan public holiday. So I've even been to some Christian schools and said, so what is 31 October? And had a whole chorus of kids shouting out, Halloween! And that wasn't the answer I was hoping for. I was hoping they would answer Reformation Day. 31 October is Reformation Day, and, and we would think a lot more Christians should be wanting to celebrate that. Uh, for example, when I went on missions uh, into the field, I've come across villages in remote parts of Africa where they're celebrating 31 October Reformation Day, celebrating Sola Fide, Sola Gracia, all the battle cries of the Reformation in Latin, uh, having pictures hand-drawn of Martin Luther and uh, and of Ulrich Zwingli and William Tyndale, great leaders of the faith, and singing A Mighty Fortress is Our God in their local languages. So uh, it seems a bit disturbing that you could be in Cape Town, South Africa, with a great Christian heritage, with centuries of Christian heritage, but not that many churches observe Reformation Day and not that many schools, whereas a lot of them are doing something for Halloween. There's even churches having Halloween celebrations, but I don't know that they're aware of how Halloween began, because Halloween is not a Christian holiday. Tom Sangwit, a former high priest and worker, said Halloween is purely and absolutely evil. There's nothing we could do to make it acceptable to the Lord Jesus. Uh, Dr. Hammond, I assume it's not because you are opposed to children eating sweets, especially ones given by strangers, that you call Halloween evil. No, um, generally speaking, we try to encourage our children not to take anything from strangers, and certainly not sweets from strangers, because we're concerned about them being drugged or something like that. And there are people who do that, of course. And uh, generally speaking, you don't want your children to eat sweets from strangers, uh, although people tend to make a big difference on uh, Halloween. Uh, but this former high priest, um, Tom Sangwood, said, the modern holiday we call Halloween has its origins in the full moon closest to November the 1st, the witch's new year. It's a time when the spirits are supposed to be at their peak power in revisiting the planet Earth. So he says that Halloween has strong roots in paganism and witchcraft. Now, we know that many of the people out there celebrating it have no evil intentions and not doing it innocently, think it's just fun. But they need to understand that this used to be the Druid festival of Shemhain, and the Celts considered November the 1st a day of death, because the northern hemisphere, this is the beginning of winter, when the leaves are falling, it's getting darker earlier, the temperatures are dropping, and they believed their sun god was losing strength, and Shemhain, the lord of death, was overpowering the sun god, and they taught that on the 31st of October, the eve of the feast, uh, Samhain assembled the spirits of all who died in the previous year to return to their former home to visit the living, so that's kind of the origin of this whole idea of Halloween. How did the Druid priests celebrate the festival of Samhain, Dr. Hammond? Eh, it's it's not nice to hear, but on Halloween for thousands of years, Druid priests have conducted diabolical worship ceremonies in which have gathered all kinds of animals, cats and dogs and horses and sheep and oxen and human beings as well, uh, rounded up and stuffed into wicker cages and burned to death. And these human animal sacrifices were apparently required to appear Samhain and keep the spirits from harming them. So it's it's not got very innocent origins. You've described the rather macabre and gruesome champagne, but how does the, that relate to what must be our dentists, costumers, uh, confectioners, and pumpkin farmers' favorite holiday of the year, Halloween? Well, of course, there's been um, quite a metamorphosis over the years. and I, I seem to recall a time when um, 
Halloween, certainly overseas, seemed to be a little bit more innocent where it was uh, looked like a bit of harmless fun, kids dressing up as Casper the Friendly Ghost and uh, running around uh, to collect sweets from neighbours. Uh, but over the years, we've seen it getting more and more um, celebrating of evil and death and vampires and all kinds of, uh, like, pushing the envelope. Uh, so bear in mind that... Uh, to obtain the sacrifices, the druid priests would go from house to house asking for fatted calves and black sheep and human beings, literally people to hand over their daughters and so on. Those who were promised, who gave, were promised prosperity, and those who refused were threatened and cursed. So this is the origin of trick or treat. So the jack-o'-lantern, uh, which is like the candlelit pumpkin or the candlelit skull, which served as a signal to mark those farms or manors or homes that supported the druid's religion, um, they were seeking the treat, and when the terror of Halloween began, the people who had the jack-o'-lantern uh, either on their doorstep or in front of their, their building or home were considered, okay, they're on the druid side, so they got the, the treat. They were offering a treat. They didn't get the trick, which is the curse. Um, so the World Book of uh, World Book of Encyclopedia says the apparently harmless lighted pumpkin face of a jack-o'-lantern is the ancient symbol of a damned soul. And actually looks like it too. So while people and animals were screaming in agony, being burnt to death, the druids and their followers were dressed in costumes, normally made of animal skins and animal heads, and they'd dance and chant and jump through the flames in the hope of warding off evil spirits. Now, Halloween is presented as something fun, um, a spectacle that appeals to children. Um, is this intentional um, while attracting people in their formative years? Oh, definitely. I mean, Hollywood's done a lot of that. And of course, there's been a lot of films recently trying to uh, promotes the occultic side of life. For example, you just think of the Twilight series, which is, you know, some girl in love with a vampire. And uh, uh, then you've you've got these uh, Harry Potter films, which is basically uh, mass marketing and popularizing witchcraft and even the Pokemon, the pocket monsters. So there's a lot in, in popular culture which is actually promoting occultism and Wicca and so on. And um, uh, bear in mind that if you can get the children, you can often get the parents. And I know as father of four children and grandfather of three grandsons that, um, you know, if they want to go to this particular place, because some of these kids know there's this kind of toy that comes with this meal if you go to that particular uh, type of fast food joint. And you don't go there because of the food, because the food's awful normally and certainly not healthy. But uh, your children want that. And so if you can market to the children and they will drag along their parents or grandparents or uncles and aunts and uh, you can see it's a good marketing strategy. Dracula is a familiar figure during Halloween. Can you tell us a bit about the origins of this uh, macabre character? Actually, yes. Many people think it's just a Hollywood character, but Count Dracula or Vlad the Impaler was a real person. And uh, I've ministered in Romania uh, quite a few times, and uh, they don't think he's fun at all. Uh, Dracula to them is very real. He's part of the history. Dracula lived in Romania from 1431 to 1476. And during his hideous six-year Count Dracula massacred over 100,000 men, women, and children in hideous ways. For example, if you've heard of the House of Horrors, well, Dracula's the origin of that. He devised a plan to rid his country of the burden of beggars and handicapped and the sick and aged, the homeless. And he invited them to a feast in one of his palaces, fed them well, got them drunk, and then said, Do you want to be without cares, lacking nothing in the world? And when his guests all yelled, Yes! He ordered the palace board up, and the whole place set in fire, and nobody escaped. They all died in this original House of Horrors. And you go to MGM Studios today, and they've got the House of Horrors as one of the fun rides. Uh, when I was a child, um, 
Halloween was considered an eccentric, uniquely North American celebration. How is it, but now it's becoming more and more popular in South Africa. How is this being achieved? Through television, through the media. I mean, there's no doubt that, unfortunately, America's a degenerate culture. I know that there's good things that come from America. They do send a lot of good Christian books and so on and good Christian films. But let's face it, the biggest export in America has been its degenerate music, degenerate so-called entertainment from Hollywood, which seems in many cases to delight in the most perverse and anti-Christian. And they've popularized blasphemy and other things that are really bad. Um, so, yes, I think along with a lot of other things, Halloween has been imported. South it's not African. It's not South African. It's not, uh, it doesn't fit here yet. Somehow or another, we see Halloween as making a major impact on our societies and more and more people are participating. And we could just say it's not just through TV. It could also be some people trying to market it here because, well, they can sell costumes and, and <laughs> confectionery um, uh, sweets through it. And some of the sweets look a little bizarre, like... Um, grotesque eyeballs and vampire teeth, but um, not necessarily the, the nicest looking stuff, but they're pushing the envelope. And I think also it could be that there are Wiccan and occultic groups in South Africa who for other purposes are promoting it because they can use it for recruitment or mainlining and popularizing their um, very occultic type of movements. Dr. Hammond, how should Christians respond to Halloween and other expressions of paganism? Well, I think we should just boycott it because it's got nothing to do with Christians. I'm not saying that we should uh, uh, be rude or nasty or inhospitable to people who come past our doors because, of course, you do get people coming past your doors who are innocently practicing. They don't mean bad. They don't understand the background of it. And that's just an opportunity for evangelism. I think, you know, you, whether you decide to give them some sweets with some tracts or whatever, um, or carrot sticks, whatever you particularly go for. Uh, but uh, I think we should be gracious if people are coming to our door whether they're coming from the Jehovah's Witnesses or from the Mormons or whether they're coming from um, the um, Halloween uh, celebrators, we should still be polite and gracious and use it as an opportunity to share the gospel and, and be a good Christian witness. Uh, but instead of participating in paganism or walking with Wicca or being in harmony with Halloween, instead of having our children celebrate cruelty or dabbling in a day of death, we should focus our family and our congregation community on celebrating Reformation Day. I mean, 31 October has a lot to celebrate. You know, do you like having the Bible in your own language? Well, thank the Reformation for that. Do you like going to church and sitting in a pew? You can thank the Reformation for that because before the Reformation, people stood for the whole church service. You didn't sit down unless you remember the choir or if, uh, you're the, the bishop or priest. And uh, it was the Reformation who brought in pews because they wanted to encourage people to open their Bibles, read and take notes uh, during the sermon, which became the central part of the service. If you like that, if singing hymns in your own language, as opposed to standing and listening to a choir sing in Latin, you can thank the Reformation because the Reformation brought in congregational singing as well. And most importantly, the gospel, because before that, people thought that they had to go through a whole jungle of superstitions in order to to uh, get to God and they couldn't pray directly to God through the Lord Jesus Christ they had to go through Mary and the saints and they had to uh, go through all kinds of superstitious rituals and uh, reverencing um, relics which might be a toenail of the saint or a bone of St. Peter's or a piece of bread from the Last Supper or some milk from the Virgin Mary dead serious these were actual relics that people were meant to reverence um, a thorn from the crown of thorns a a nail from the um, uh, that pierced Christ's feet at the uh, cross and a piece of the wood of the real cross. And these were sort of relics that people were meant to reverence and they'd get years of purgatory. 
And uh, this kind of superstitious nonsense, which, let's face it, even if you had a chalice with the actual blood of Christ in it and the full cross and all three nails and a whole um, crown of thorns, it wouldn't add an iota to your salvation. Your salvation is not in any way determined by these physical matters, but by the atonement and the propitiation, uh, the vicarious sacrifice of Christ. And so we need to um, challenge this kind of superstitions, and Martin Luther did that. So uh, bringing our families and our churches back to celebrating the Reformation uh, and the great five solas of the Reformation, sola scriptura, scripture alone is the ultimate authority. Solus Christus, Christ alone is the head of the church. Soli Dio Gloria, everything should be done to the glory of God alone. By the way, that's on our one round coin, Soli Dio Gloria. And it's Latin. It's one of the five battle cries of the Reformation. You'll also see it on Andrew Murray's tomb in Wellington, outside the church here, because Soli Dio Gloria is the, the battle cry of the Reformation. Everything should be done to the glory of God alone. Salvation is by the grace of God alone, Sola Gracia, received by faith alone, Sola Fide. These Latin phrases, these battle cries of the Reformation, Call us back to what is really, really important. What is ultimate authority? The Holy Scriptures, the Bible. Uh, who is the head of the church? It's Jesus Christ, actually. Uh, he is the head of the church, and he's the only way to God. He is the way, the truth, and life. He does not just know the way. He is the way. He does not just have life or know the way to life. He is life embodiment. He is the resurrection life. We are lost. He is the way. We are deceived. He is the truth. We are dead in our trespasses, and here's the life. So getting people back to the Reformation, that's something really worth celebrating. And uh, we need to recognize we are living in a spiritual world war, and why would we want to celebrate cruelty to animals or vandalism or murders, all of which occur with far greater frequency during Halloween? And so every Halloween, thousands of animals are sacrificed in satanic rituals worldwide, and even people, especially runaways and um, uh, children hitchhiking and they whisked into some combi or van and uh, gone and never seen again. And uh, in many cases, it turns out that uh, ended up as sacrifices. So Halloween is is a time of evil and people are often afraid and keep their black cats in the doors uh, because they might be kidnapped for some kind of human sacrifice or animal sacrifice at that time. Halloween is a prime recruiting time for witches and Satanists. Many people have testified they were introduced to our cult at a Halloween party. You may say, well, I wasn't. Well, that's good, but there are other people who were recruited into Satanism or occultism through Halloween. So it is something that we as Christians don't want to be part of, and that's why we say we should be promoting Reformation instead. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. Yeah, Dr. Hammond, listening to your responses to the questions, uh, I noticed the prevalence of fire, and I also see a parallel between the fires used to sacrifice people in by the Druids and also the fires used to burn Christian martyrs even during the Reformation at the stake. Yes, unfortunately in the Middle Ages you did have the Inquisition taking Protestant reformers and Bible translators and burning them at the stake. And of course burning is not just a torturous, painful death, but was also um, considered a curse because there wasn't a body to bury and burial's got a great Christian tradition. And uh, so it was meant to be putting a curse on, on somebody by having them burned. And this was meant to intimidate people, don't cross the official state religion. I mean, these days you mustn't go against big tech and big pharma and big government. But back then it was, you don't go against uh, the state, who was the Holy Roman Empire, or the church, which was the papal uh, system run from Rome. And uh, uh, the way they kept people in line was uh, you... You cross the state, they behead you. You cross the uh, church, you get burned at the stake. So, you know, basically, if you're guilty of treason or heresy, you're in deep trouble. 
And uh, so it was intimidation, sort of like deplatforming and unpersoning people and accusing people of horrible things these days. And next thing you find, you deleted from Facebook. Well, it's worse than that back then because they actually burned you physically at the stake. Now you burnt at the stake more symbolically or metaphorically. So the fire, it's always, maybe it's symbolic of the fires of hell. It's also a torment. It's meant to intimidate. Um, I think that it was particularly meant to be a curse, the fact that you had no body to bury. Of course, Christians believe in a sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the body, which is why in a Christian tradition, when a grave is placed, it's placed in such a way that the feet are facing towards Jerusalem so that when the person uh, wakes up on the day of resurrection, they'll sit up facing towards the Mount of Olivet, which is where the Lord Jesus will return. And so here in South Africa, you're buried facing north. And in east and a place like Japan, you'd be buried facing uh, west. And in America, you'd be buried facing east. Or, or in Russia, facing south. The whole idea that you are, all the dead in Christ will rise on that day, looking immediately towards Jerusalem, uh, towards the Mount of Olivet, where the Lord will return. Dr. Hammond, um, Dr. Martin Luther, this pivotal figure in Christian history, he was responding to decadence and a perverted elite. And similarly, uh, we're facing a regression in culture and society. It's uh, Halloween is a perfect example. It's shallow, tasteless, and death-orientated. Yes. I, I mean, the Reformation was one of the most momentous turning points in history. I mean, led by men of strong faith and deep convictions and great intelligence and high moral stands, and particularly tremendous courage, because towering above all of these great reformers, Martin Luther stands out as the most courageous, controversial, and influential reform of all time. And Martin Luther is the one who basically hacked his way through the jungle of superstitions and mad-mad rules that was keeping people from the throne of grace. And he opened the way back to people having the Bible in their own language in their hands and uh, back to the teachings of justification by faith alone, not salvation by works. And that the church is not made up of a hierarchical structure of officials, but the church is an organism, it's a body, it's a family of the regenerate, um, those truly called of God. So in many different ways, uh, Martin Luther was uh, the most important reformer of all times, one of the most courageous people ever. He was standing against the church and the state, and the state could have him executed in torturous ways. The church could have him burned at the stake, and they claimed they could also excommunicate him and that he wouldn't be able to go to heaven, uh, which many people feared, that the Pope had that literal keys of the kingdom. And not that Jesus had the keys of the kingdom, but the Pope had the keys of the kingdom. And uh, and Martin Luther had the courage to stand against all this and say, nope, uh, the Bible teaches otherwise. And he was able to call people back to the word of God. Scripture alone is the ultimate authority. So Martin Luther, super important. He should be the example we should be talking about. Why would we want to be teaching our kids about Dracula and vampires uh, when we can be teaching them about reformers like Ulrich Swingley and Martin Luther and John Calvin, who did so much to bring people back to the Bible and back to the central teaching of Scripture, such as salvation by faith alone, based on the righteousness of Christ alone. And I believe it will be far more edifying for our children uh, if we are having Reformation celebrations instead of Halloween youth meetings. What actions can everyday Christians take, particularly on 31st of October, to date the, the date on which Halloween is celebrated? Well, um, we are particularly organizing a series of events leading up to Reformation Day. And uh, on Thursday, the uh, 27th uh, of um, October, uh, we are going to be having a special preparation for Reformation, going through all the different um, pre-reformers, the Waldensians and 
uh, Wycliffe and Huss and so on, Savonarola, leading up to the, the Reformation. On the uh, Saturday, the 30th of, of October, we are going to have a Reformation fair and a Reformation variety concert here um, in Rondebosch celebrating uh, the Reformation. And, of course, I trust many churches will have Reformation Sunday services on the 30th. But on the 31st, Monday the 31st, there'll be at the Huguenot Monument, we'll have a guided tour of the Huguenot Museum and Monument from 10 o'clock in the morning. And then on um, uh, 12 noon, we'll be celebrating the Reformation. We'll be having a Reformation celebration service at 12 noon at the Huguenot Monument in Frontier, uh, which many people may not realize is actually a Protestant monument, Protestant museum, celebrating the Protestant French Huguenots who fled here for religious freedom when their religious freedom was being under attack uh, in the home country and that they were given Ulifansuk, which today is Franschuk, which was just wilderness back then. So there's some things we could do in Cape Town, but I'd also recommend that you get hold of some good, great Christian films. I mean, there are films like Martin Luther, um, which is the old black and white classic, which I think is the best and deepest. It's a more modern color version, big screen epic, um, just called Luther, which is a good introduction. It's dramatic, it's fast moving, it's great. It's not, it doesn't have any theological depth, but... Uh, it'll introduce youth to the idea of Martin Luther being an interesting person, but uh, they won't learn much uh, of substance in the film, but it's, it's, it's a very well-presented, expensive production um, and well worth seeing too. So there's some good films you can show. You can get a lot of great resources on Reformation from Christian Liberty Books and uh, from the Reformation Society, and uh, we've got many articles and PowerPoints on, on the uh, www.reformationsa.org website. Dr. Hammond, how can we reform our calendar? I think it's super important to reform our calendars because the trouble is, uh, in many cases, our calendars have been turned into a, a secular humanist one, you know, when we're just celebrating man-made things. But you know, a Christian calendar should be built around biblical things. And, for example, what's the greatest event in history? Well, Christmas, the incarnation, uh, the birth of Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, Jesus is the reason for the season. Wise men still seek him. Christmas is a great time for evangelism and reaching to the poor and the lonely, even to strangers. And giving Christ-centered Christmas cards and Christ-centered emailings and social media posts to relatives, witnessing to strangers, giving gifts to strangers, even going to your local police station or hospital and doing uh, handing out gifts and cards and, and uh, good eats and so on. Put Christ back into Christmas. And uh, Good Friday is the most solemn holiday of the year, contemplating the sacrifice of Christ that redeemed us from our sins. Um, watch or show the Passion of the Christ film, uh, meditate on what Christ suffered for us. And Resurrection Sunday, what a joyous holiday of the year when we recognize that we serve a risen Savior. Jesus is the resurrection life. He is risen, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And Ascension Day, it used to be a public holiday, it's not anymore, and that's a pity because Ascension Day deals with authority. Christ is ascended into heaven. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is coming again to judge the living and dead. We must therefore go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all things that the Lord has commanded. Ascension Day is so important. It doesn't matter whether it's on the government calendar. It should be on our Christian calendar. It should be observed by our families, Christian businesses, Christian schools, and certainly churches. Pentecost Sunday, super important. The official birthday of the church. And we need to continually go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. I would put Reformation Day on there too, or Reformation Sunday if you can't do anything on the Monday, but we should certainly be marking the Reformation. And I would then say 
okay, there might be some of the man-centered holidays that we can try and redeem. They offer us Human Rights Day in the South African calendar. Well, use it to campaign for the most basic right of all, the right to life of pre-born babies, the most helpless, innocent of all. And Women's Day, well, every year on 9th of August for the last 28 years, we've had outreaches on Women's Day, handing out flowers and chocolates to women in shopping centres and campaigning against human trafficking and speaking out against the pornography industry and calling for more respect and support for women. Um, that's a positive thing you can do. We've got other important days in the calendar. We tend to remember the soldiers who've died in the wars, the 11th of November. Well, what about Christians who are dying in persecution today? So uh, the second Sunday in every uh, year, in every November, should be observed as Day of Remembrance to those who've uh, been martyred or are suffering for their faith. Do you know that today something like 400 million Christians around the world in 66 countries suffer persecution from their governments. 400 million Christians. So the Bible is actually a forbidden book in many countries, and the Bible still have to be smuggled in many countries, and a place where Christians can be arrested and imprisoned and even executed for believing in Christ and praying. So we need to learn about the persecuted, and there's actually a website dedicated to this, www.idop-africa.org. So idop Dot, or hyphen Africa, idop-africa.org, you find a whole lot of information and details on the persecution church today and what we can do to speak up for them. So these are different things we could do to revive our calendar and make it more Christian. And I think the most basic is to make Sunday a day of rest and a day for the family, a day of worship. Dr. Hammond, how can we reform our churches like, like Martin Luther? I think the most important is get back to the... Bible study and prayer meeting. And uh, when I was in Eastern Europe ministering behind Iron Curtain, back when communism was still persecuting the church and under Ceausescu's brutal dictatorship in Romania, I had a pastor there say to me, we don't count our members by how many attend the Sunday service. We count our members by how many attend the midweek Bible study and prayer meeting. And that's a good challenge. The same pastor, Paul Negroot, said to me, a real Christian loves God. A real Christian loves God. The Bible. A real Christian loves to pray, and a real Christian hates sin. Well, that's an outstanding four-point sermon right there, but uh, how important it is to get our people back to midweek Bible studies and prayer meetings. When I was converted in 1977, most of the men in our local church were attending the midweek Bible study and prayer meeting. I think it was on a Tuesday night. And uh, then on Thursday nights, many people, uh, dozens of people, were taking part in evangelism doing evangelism explosion, door-to-door -door evangelism throughout uh, our suburb and just doing Gospels of Mark to every household in the, in the neighborhood. And uh, I think those are good principles. But very soon I saw both of those meetings temporarily halted uh, because it was conflicting with the new TV programs of Rich Man, Poor Man and the Man and the World at War. And that's sad. Um, many people today don't attend midweek Bible studies and church services uh, in midweek. And yet the Bible study and prayer meeting the cell groups are a key part of any church. So I'd say if you want to reform the church, get back to the Bible, Bible before breakfast, scripture before supper, start to work through every book in the Bible, uh, get together a group of others, either join a Bible study group that exists or start one if there isn't one in your home, at your workplace, at your school, college. But Bible study and prayer fellowships, that's where our mission started. We start out of a Bible study and prayer meeting that met every night during our uh, two years national service in the South African Army and uh, in the infantry, we would gather together for Bible study and prayer. Training in the South African infantry back then was very, very grueling, demanding, 
And it was a sacrifice, but we maintained it. It wasn't just weekly, it was every night. And uh, we went through the whole Bible. And uh, it was a, out of that grew many missions. Uh, many people have entered into ministry all over the world as a result of, of that. Many things can happen out of Bible study and prayer fellowship. So I think if you want to reform the church, get back to the Bible yourself. Invite some others to join a Bible study group. And uh, when you start to work your way through every book in the Bible and pray the Psalms, great things will happen. Dr. Hammond, are there any resources that uh, Frontline Fellowship can offer to educate people about Halloween and the Reformation? Yes, if they contact Christian Liberty Books, there are videos on this uh, trick or treat and have we been tricked and so on, some good films. We've also got tracks such as um, a Biblical Response to Halloween, both in English and Afrikaans. If you go on to the www.frontlinemissionsa.org website, frontlinemissionsa.org website, you will find uh, both tracks in English and Afrikaans you will, and French. You'll find um, PowerPoints, videos, audios that deal with Halloween in more detail. Um, and also, of course, to promote the Reformation, uh, outstanding resources such as the Greatest Century of Reformation book, which has got six, uh, 16 biographies of 16 great reformers of the 16th century. Lots of pictures, lots of stories, best to learn by example. And uh, we've got other very good books in Reformation, including uh, the Power of Prayer Handbook and Reforming Our Families. Thank you very much for your time and wisdom, Dr. Hammond. Rather than inadvertently celebrating Halloween, death and Dracula, let's be inspired by the great reformers to reform our lives and communities. As it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Please join us next week at the same time, 104 FM on Radio Tigerberg for the next program of Salt and Light. God bless and good night.